Back in February, my oldest son and I were, were blessed to go on a father and son birthday trip for his 16th birthday. It was truly a, a blessing, and we were headed toward Monarch Mountain and to go skiing for a few days. And we got some vouchers, which was a blessing, and so we flew all the way to Seattle just to get to Denver. It's one of those type of trips. And we got to Denver, and before we went on the trip and while I was on the plane, I, I just continued playing in my head the, the plan to get to Salida, Colorado, which is about three hours west, south, kind of southwest of, of Denver in the mountains. And so I was just kind of playing in my head that, okay, if we land in Denver at this time, we, we'll get to Salida somewhere right around dark. Because I'm thinking, I, I don't want to drive to Salida along Highway 50 along the Arkansas River for, you know, for forever, it seems like, in the dark. That's the last thing I wanted. And, and so I was playing it through my head. And so we land in Denver and we get to the baggage claim. And the baggage claim just going around and around and around. And we got one piece of luggage and it just kept going around and around and around. And my son and I kind of looked at each other and were like, what do we do now? They were missing a bag of ours. And so we went and we talked to somebody. And in my head, I'm just thinking, oh, goodness, this is getting us off a little bit. And I was talking to someone and they said, hey, listen, where are you going to be staying at? And I'm like, well, we're going to be staying up in this cabin up in the mountains in Salida. And they're like, we'll have it to you tonight. And I'm like, really? Y'all are going to drive that out there? And they're like, yeah, we'll have it out there. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. And so I'm looking at the time, like, okay, I think we lost an hour, but we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And so we go to the rental car place, and we, we get this, this Jeep, thank the Lord, that we decided to get. And we, we got it, and we're, we're driving out, and then all of a sudden, it starts snowing in Denver. And I'm like, all right, that's what it does in Denver. This is cool. And so we're driving on the highway, but it's like, it's like I, I feel like I'm back in Dallas when the ice and snow's here, and you kind of get that tense feeling of, oh, my goodness, it's like ice again, but it's really just wet, you know? And, and, but we're driving through Denver, and, and things are slowing down. There's snow plows and all this kind of stuff. And so we're heading toward Colorado Springs, and the snow just kind of keeps falling. And then we get to Canyon City, which is west of Colorado Springs, and the snow keeps falling. And at this time, guess what? It's dark. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, this is going to be a very interesting drive. And so we start through and to the mountains. And this windy Highway 50, which hugs the Arkansas River, and we're doing good. I'm feeling comfortable. Noah's feeling good. We're like, okay, we got this. You have these single-lane highways, and some of you guys have been on that highway before, and, and we're going, and we're going, and we're going, and we're going, and so I'm feeling very hopeful, right? I'm like, yes, yes, this is happening. This is going to be great, and so it's almost 10 p.m., and all of a sudden, everything changed, as this little snow squall came down and just started whitening out the road and started falling on our car. We started getting to a point where we couldn't see in front of us. We no longer could see the line on the highway. And I'm thinking, I know the river's to the right. I know the mountain's to the left. And so I'm just kind of keeping that in mind. And all of a sudden, I turned to Noah, and I'm like, there is no way we can keep going. There's no way. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm in dad mode of like adrenaline. I want to get there. I want to get there because my son and I are going to have this awesome, awesome trip. But on the other hand, I'm like, I've got my oldest son and my, mom, my wife will kill me if I keep going and end up in the river. 
And so I looked at Noah and I said, hey, man, what do you think we should do? Because at this point, I think we're going like 10 miles per hour. He's like, man, I don't know. And he was good. He was good. He was, he was better than I was at this point. I'm freaking out inside. And so I, for some reason, said, I think we've got to turn around. And I'm thinking in my head, the only thing that was back there was a gas station 45 minutes ago. But I don't know if it was open. And so I turned around, and I just stopped on the side next to the mountain. And we just stopped there. And I said, hey, man, let's just pray. I didn't know what else to do, right? Like, let's just pray. Because we realize it's snowing that way now, too, and you can't see anywhere. And so we prayed. We prayed. And we said, okay, let's turn around and go back toward where we were going, the destination. We started going a little bit, and it was just wide out. And all of a sudden, Noah looks out his window, and I, I, I love this. He goes, Dad, there's a light. And I'm like, wow, yeah, there is a light. What do you think that is? He's like, I don't know. I think it's a house. I'm like, sweet. It ended up being like the only house for miles on our way back. We found that out. And he sees it. And so I said, hey, man, let's, let's go over there. And it was right on the river. And so we went over there, and we pulled him into the front. And we're about 20 or 30 yards from the front door because I want to be careful, all right? And so I get out in the snow, and I'm waving my hands, honking my horn. And this guy comes out. And at this point, I'm not waving. I'm just going like this. <laughs> Straight up, man. Straight up. I'm thinking in my head, if I see something long or, you know, a rifle come, I've got nothing on me, all right? And so this guy comes to the car, and he says, hey, man, what are you all doing? I'm like, well, we're trying to get to Salida. And he says, you ain't going to get to Salida tonight. And I'm like, I didn't think so. And he's like, the road is just snowpacked. There's not a chance. There's no way. And so at this point, I'm like shaking with adrenaline, nervous rush, and the cold air, and I'm like, well, what do, you, what do you think we'd do? And he's like, hey, let me go tell my wife, and we're going to put you guys up in a room in our house. And I'm like, really? And at this point, I'm like, just anything. Because we were thinking we're going to sleep in the, in the Jeep. We're just going to do that and just wait this thing out. And they made up a bed, and, and they, they bring us in, my son and I, to their front room, and they had this wood stove heater going. They're throwing wood in. It's heating up the whole house. I mean, this is mountain, mountain like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like we're back in the woods, back in the sticks type stuff. And so we're sitting there with them. We're telling just kind of our life stories for like two hours. And so I called my wife on their landline and freaked her out and said, hey, we, we're with Byron and Deb. She's like, do you know these people? I'm like, for about two hours now. And so we're talking with them and hanging out with them and they start realizing that our eyes are getting red and we're sniffling and stuff like that. And we're, Noah and I are greatly allergic to cats, and they had cats. And so it was so cool. I mean, they start bringing out Benadryl, and they're like, hey, here you go. These are good people. And they put us up. And I'll never forget, Byron, before we went to bed, he said, hey, listen, Jerry, he said, when you get up in the morning, he said, if you get up before me, just push the button on the coffee pot. And there was something about what he said, and it just hit me right there in that moment of like, oh, my goodness. This is amazing love. Like, I had never in my life, and my son and I talked about it all night till we went to bed, about the hospitality of these people. We were blown away by it. Because our hope had really departed 
on that mountain road. I mean, we were really, hope was gone. I was thinking in my head, and I didn't share this with Nova. I was just thinking in my head, is this thing really going to happen? Is this really going to happen? Because there was more snow coming, and, and we knew it. And I thought, man, is this really going to happen? My, my hope was really depleting. And I remember waking up the next morning. Noah and I shared a bed together, and we were frigid all night because that little house didn't have much heat. But we were thankful. And I remember waking up, and Byron had actually beat me to the coffee pot, but I got up, and the sun was bright. And something in my soul just leaped. My hope started being renewed again, and I asked Byron, I said, hey, what do you think about the, the highway? What do you think about it? He says, man, the snow plows have been out. He said, I think if you get on the road now, I think you're going to be good. And they made some breakfast for us real quick and some coffee, and he went out and helped us clean off the Jeep and got us on the road, and we were so excited, so excited. And so we got to our destination. It took us about an hour still with some snowpack roads, and we got there. We skied that day, but this was really interesting. Later that night, the people who hosted us said, hey, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? And they said, we talked to some friends today that live in this little town called Coldale. And I said, Coldale, that's where we stayed the night last night. And they're like, yeah, well, we talked to some friends, and they have some friends, and told us that they kept some guys who were stranded on the road. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's, yeah, that's us. And she said, by the way, here's a newspaper. Because last night, just right after you guys were on the road, a car flipped in the Arkansas River off the snow-packed road right there at Coldale, right around from the corner where you guys stayed. And Noah and I just kind of looked at each other like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Now, this guy survived. Praise the Lord. Noah and I talked about it a lot. We still talk about it. It still blows my, mind, uh, my wife's mind about the love that we encountered from Byron and Deb. And I will say this, I, Byron and Deb, we talked about our, our faith with them, and Byron and Deb are, are not believers. Um, he communicated with me that they are free thinkers, right? And so I was totally blown away, though, by love, and even more so from, from people who do not believe in Jesus. But it got me thinking, especially this Easter season and today's text, um, about the love of Jesus. And I was thinking about the whole time when we were on this trip because I was truly blown away by this experience. And I thought about how Jesus has taken us, where for many of us there are things in life that rob our hope at times or cause us to, to lack hope. And there's Maybe certain reasons for, for our hope to depart over different things in life. And you guys can fill in the blank on what that may be and those experiences that you have. But I want you to hear today that Jesus has come to renew our hope, to give us a living hope, to give us a hope that is alive and to never depart because of his great love. And so I want us to look at the text this morning about this hope, this hope because of this great love that, that's greater even than Byron and Deb's love that we experienced. And so Luke 24, if you have that text that was read earlier open, I want you to look at it if you would. But Luke 24, 1 through 7, 
I want you to see here where the hope of the world hinges on God's plan. The hope of the world hinges on God's plan. And so it says here in verse 1, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about it, behold, two men suddenly stood near them, dazzling in these clothes. And as the women were terrified, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember, that's a key word, remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. These angels call these here at the tomb, to remember. To remember what? To remember what Jesus told them. And how soon we forget things. And so how soon we even maybe forget things about the word of God and, and about Jesus, just like they had. They had forgotten what he had told them. And so the angels caused them to think again about the words of Jesus when he was with his disciples. And what does he say in verse 7? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day risen. You see, the hope of the world hinges on God's plan. And his plan is a three-part plan according to what the angel said. That the Son of God must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and then crucified and then raised up on the third day. The Apostle Paul spoke of the significance of this. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he tells us, I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of all who remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. God's three-part plan, that Jesus would suffer, be handed over, crucified, and raised again. That's where the hope of the world lies. Why? Why? Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins, Paul tells us. You see, all of us, the Bible says, fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. We all disobey God's laws and his ways. We fall short of that. And because of that, the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that we all deserve eternal death, that the wages of our sin is death, forever separation from God. But Jesus came to conquer the power of sin, the penalty of sin. And he was the only one that could do that. And part of God's plan was having him put on a cross to die a criminal's death, and he hung between two thieves. And upon him that night, the sin of the world, he bore. And he paid once and for all with his sacrifice on the cross, the ransom price for our sin. And he died and he breathed his last. But as we see here in verse 7, chapter 24, he's risen. 
It's the third day, and he has risen. And this is the hope of the world. Now, how does the world respond? Well, we see here in verse 11 how some of the disciples respond. Listen to what it says. But these words appeared to them as nonsense. Here are the apostles, the disciples, the the very ones who sat with Jesus, who hung out with Jesus for three years. They got to see uh, Lazarus raised up from the grave. They got to see uh, people who were sick healed. They, They got to see all the miracles of Jesus. They saw him walk on water. And yet, it says, these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. Many today do not believe the words of Jesus. They think they're nonsense. They think the resurrection is nonsense. They don't believe. In fact, many of studies tell us about nine out of ten people today find themselves in this position where they do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus or in the gospel or who he is. We live in that day. My wife called me last night, and I was talking to her, and she was telling me about dinner they were having, my daughter and her out of town, and they were with um, some other people, and there was another girl at the table, and she was sharing about how she had never seen a Bible before. Can you imagine that? Never seen a Bible before. I was talking to a lady yesterday at an Easter egg hunt, and she was telling me about someone at work, the same thing. Never seen a Bible before. There are people all around us who have no spiritual engagement or idea about the gospel or the word of God, about the resurrection. Many think it's nonsense or don't believe or they're ignorant to it. And that's the day we live in. And these disciples, isn't it amazing to think that these disciples are the first skeptics that we see? And then look what happens next in verse 12. It says, Peter got up though. One of the disciples, and he, what does he do? He runs to the tomb, it says, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home marveling at what happened. He marveled. Now, what does this mean? I think this is a little mix of excitement. I wonder if he's thinking, could it be? Could it be true? And some of us may find ourselves even there today. Maybe we're kicking the tire of Christianity and we're trying to figure this thing out and just wondering, okay, could this be true? That Jesus actually died for my sins and that he rose again. He conquered the grave and overcame death for me so that I could know the same victory. Maybe some of us are questioning that. And so Peter went and he investigated. He went to the tomb himself and he went home and he pondered about it. He marveled about it. Do you marvel at the resurrection? Are you amazed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Where are you today? God's three-part plan of hope for the world today and hope for you is based on Jesus' suffering, his death, and his resurrection. Do you believe that? The next thing we see here is hope departed for some. Hope was gone. If we look at verse 
13, it says, Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place that day or that uh, week. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and he began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, Jesus did, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. They were gloomy in their countenance. They were down. They were overwhelmed with sadness. And why? Because Jesus had died. He was gone. Their hope departed in this moment. But Jesus is right there. But it says in verse 16, they were prevented to see and realize and recognize who he was. And so this is a very interesting dialogue here, the very interesting conversation. And look what happens in verse 18. One of them said, or one of them named Cleopas answered and said to Jesus, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Does anyone else find that kind of humorous, right? I mean, Jesus is probably thinking, oh, man, no, I'm not unaware. I'm, it actually happened to me, you know. I'm fully aware, fully engaged. And look at verse 19. He said to them, what things? And they said to him this. And I want you to see here where these disciples, these are some disciples of Jesus as well, okay? And they had a thinking or a view or a worldview of who Jesus was. And look what it says in um, verse 19, this is what they thought about Jesus. The things, they respond to his question, what things? And they say to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people. And you think about Jesus, he, he was a prophet. He spoke the message of God. He raised the dead. He cleansed leopards. He fed the crowds. Things that resembled things that biblical prophets did of old, such as Moses and Elijah and Elijah. But Jesus was more than a prophet. Jesus was more than just a good moral teacher. He's God. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. And then in verse 20, they tell Jesus about what happened to him. <laughs> they tell him how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and they crucified him. In sharing this with Jesus, they did not understand that the, what Jesus did was for them, was for their eternal good. And so they tell him, this is what happened to you. And then in verse 21, look what they say next. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Do you see this here? Their hope is gone. They were hoping for something else. They expected Jesus to do something different. And it says, indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. What were they hoping Jesus would do? They were hoping that Jesus would overthrow Rome that they would be released from the bondage and slavery of the control of Rome, just like Israel was back in the day of the control of Egypt. They wanted that experience. And they thought Jesus was going to do that, but they realized this is the third day. This is the third day. He's still dead. 
and we're without hope. And then look at verse 22. It says this, but also some women among us amazed us, amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that he had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as these women had also said, but him they did not see. And so amazing here that they're uncertain. Their hope seems to be gone, but in their head there's some amazement over this report from these women that Jesus is not in the tomb. Now, some of you might be thinking that for a minute, he's right in front of them. What's up with these guys, right? I mean, is anyone thinking about that? Anyone thinking, man, what's wrong with these guys? Because he's right there in front of them. Now, we don't know what appearance Jesus had. Many believe he was in some glorified state to where they did not recognize that it was him. Also in verse 16, it tells us that they were prevented from recognizing him. You see, it's all part of God's plan. All part of God's plan. And so here they're struggling, yet they're amazed at the word. And then look what happens in verse 25. And listen to this message. He said to them, Jesus did, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Isn't this amazing what Jesus says here? He tells them, hey, listen, Christ had to suffer, and then he entered into glory. If you were to sum up Jesus' career and his life, that would be it. He had to suffer and to enter into glory. And so what he's telling them here is this. Hey, hope is not gone. It hasn't ended. It's just beginning. Because Jesus has died and Jesus is risen again and gone into glory. And look what he does next in verse 27. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Isn't this amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing? I mean, this is like having Jesus at your small group, right? And he comes in and he says, hey, listen, let me just tell you about me according to the Old Testament. Isn't it amazing to think about that he probably started in Genesis? And he started with a verse like Genesis 3, 15, where it says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God to Satan. And he says, and put between your seed and her seed. And he says this, I shall bruise you, or excuse me, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Wouldn't it be pretty cool if Jesus was sitting there, hey, listen, I just did this. I just did this. The, the enemy just bruised me on the heel, but I bruised him on the head. And wouldn't it be amazing to think, as Jesus is talking to these guys right there, he starts talking about the Passover, and he starts talking about the blood that was put on the doorposts, and how the wrath of God passed over those houses. With the blood, and what if Jesus just said, Hey, listen, that's what I came to do for you? Wow. And so Jesus just starts unpacking the word of God. Can you imagine if he went to the prophet Isaiah, which I imagine he most definitely did, and he says, Hey, listen, you know that wonderful counselor? I'm he. You know that root that shot up from the root of Jesse? 
me again. You that suffering servant that would pay for the transgressions of many. You know that lamb that was slaughtered? That's me. That's me. For your sin. Can you imagine that moment? And Jesus was communicating to them, hey, listen, your hope has not ended. For some of us, maybe in here today, man, life has gotten to us. Maybe marriage is tough. Maybe parenting kids is tough and hard. And and you feel at times hope is, is gone. Maybe things at work are not going well, and maybe you're looking for a new job. Maybe you're unemployed, and, and maybe you just feel like, hey, you know what? Hope is gone, or at least it's hard right now to be hopeful. But here's what Jesus wants to tell us is, hey, listen, hope has not ended. Because Jesus is alive. There is hope. It has just begun. Just begun. So hope is not ended for these guys. It is not ended for us. And so look what happens as we close. I want you to see this in verse 28. After Jesus has revealed this is what Moses was talking about. This is what the prophets were talking about. It was, it was me. And then verse 28, he says, they approached the village. They were going, and he acted as though he were going to keep going a little further. But they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. Look what happens next. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Now, what do you think this is going to do? Look at verse 31. Their eyes were opened. They could see. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight, just like that. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, found gathered together the 11 disciples and those who were with him. And they said this, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. What do we see here? In this moment, hope is recognized. Hope is released, realized, excuse me. Hope is recognized and hope is realized. Just right here in this moment, their eyes are opened. And that's what God does. You see, we're all, because of sin, prevented from seeing the glory of Jesus. The Bible tells us that. Our eyes are veiled to the beauty of Christ because of sin. But God, by his spirit, and simply by his grace and his love that cannot be outdone, he comes and he opens our eyes to recognize, to realize Jesus, the beauty of Christ, so that we can have hope, that we can have a living hope. When the word of God is preached and we experience the presence of Christ, something happens where, just like these guys say, our hearts were burning. 
God starts moving. And their experience for some of us, we've experienced that before. Or God has caused a burning in our heart, a moving in our heart to recognize who Jesus is. And to come to the knowledge of the hope that we can have in Jesus Christ. And these guys realize it in the moment. And their testimony becomes this. The Lord has really risen. They call him Lord. The Lord has risen. What caused them to recognize this? What caused them to realize this? It was by the breaking of bread. I don't know where these disciples knew about Jesus' time at the Last Supper and when he took the bread and broke it and took the cup and he shared about what those things meant and symbolized. I don't know where they were. I don't know if they were standing along the wall that night. I don't know if it was news that they got passed on to them from the disciples. But ever the case, when, they bro- when Jesus broke the bread, they realized right then, that's him. Because Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed before he died, take and eat of this bread. This is my body given for you. That's what the grace of God looks like. That's what love that can't be outdone looks like. Jesus giving up his life for you. And so the question is today this, have you recognized that? Do you realize that? Can you say the Lord has really risen? The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, we remember today the greatest story in all of history. But this is where it becomes more of a story. This is where it becomes more than just another day on the calendar. It's when we realize that and we confess with our mouth, he's Lord. And we believe that God raised him from the dead. When we do that, the Bible promises, God promises, we will be saved. God's plan, his three-part plan, Jesus suffering, Jesus dying, Jesus raising again, guess what? That plan you now become a part of when you believe. Your sins are forgiven. Eternal death is conquered because he died the death for you. Eternal life is granted. Sin and death has a hold on you no longer because of what God did in Jesus. Do you have that kind of hope? Do you have that hope today? Have you recognized that? Has you, have you realized who Jesus is and what he's done for you? Because there is no greater love. Let me pray. As we have our has bowed, our eyes closed, and as we're maybe there pondering and and thinking, and maybe even marveling a little bit about what we hear in these scriptures this morning. I just want to ask you personally, 
do you have this kind of hope today? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord of your life? And do you believe in your heart that God sent Jesus to suffer and die and raise from the grave for you, for you personally? Do you believe that? Because this promise today of being saved, if you believe that, is for you, for you. And so all we must simply do is just confess and believe. So I pray this morning that God would open your eyes to that, that he would burn in your hearts the reality of this great truth that could change your life. So I want to encourage you, if you've never confessed this belief in Jesus as Lord of your life, maybe today would be that day where the greatest story in history becomes your greatest day in history and that God would change your life forever. The Bible tells us, by God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I pray you know that living hope today.